episode 18 of the MetroFan TV Weekly Rundown. Lenza Fernando coming to you live from the usual locations. And we will be joined by a very special guest later on in this episode, as you may have heard. But for now, how are you doing, Fernando? I'm exhausted. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, that actually might be a common theme, I think. But uh, yeah, they, they uh, my town decided to pave the roads um, last night at about 1 o'clock in the morning. So... Phil yeah, Murphy out. I'd, I'd like to start yeah. off the episode. <laughs> um, Chris yeah, Christie hearing... sucked ass, but Phil Murphy <laughs> is, sucks slightly less amounts of ass, but still sucks ass. It sounds yeah, like being being woken up to fucking giant milling machines and and jackhammers at like midnight, one o'clock in the morning is just not cool, man. And then like those machines have these bright fucking lights. I swear to God, it's like UFO is just chilling out in front of my house. Lit my entire bedroom. It was unbelievable. So I'm expecting them to come back today, though, because they see those assholes putting putting their cold, their cones down now. So, yeah. I Fun stuff. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Like uh, It seems like uh, this seems to be the product of uh, years of neglect. So he basically treats uh, New Jersey roads like Sky Blue FC. Right? Like, <laughs> sorry, we just got really edgy in here, and it's only been a minute and a half into the episode. But um, I guess going over what we have to talk about today, a very packed agenda. So um, if you're down for another two-hour episode, well, welcome to the embryonic stages of it. Going over, going all over all the roster moves, and of course later on in the episode, going over the uh, going over to recap the 2018 season on episode 18. So a lot of uh, really interesting numerology stuff going on there. If you're into this kind of thing, but I guess we'll begin um, with the big big button news. I think that's kind of uh, on. Um, it's kind of. It's kind of dominated the uh, feeds in recent days, and that's, of course, uh, a number of roster moves already being made, right? So to kind of recap the last few days, um, we did lose um, probably our best defensive prospect in Hassan and Dom in the expansion draft to FC Cincinnati, uh, and Dom was chosen as the fifth and final pick, I think, by head coach Alan Co- uh, Coach Koch. I, I don't even know. Um <laughs> In the uh, really stupid and overblown MLS expansion draft, like God. I can't believe that they put out they, they they chose that as their presentation package, and it took like fifteen minutes into the live stream for any pick to be selected, and we basically had to listen to a Weeble and Bob's bullshit in the same <laughs> amount of time it took uh, Cincinnati to announce five picks. So I thought that was kind of ridiculous. Got to figure that out, MLS. Um, but later on that day. A trade completed for Egyptian left back slash center back Amro Tarek from Orlando City. And today we made another addition to the team and of all places, the MLS waiver draft, um, adding Marcus Epps from Philadelphia. So um, the way that I see it is, is that we, we add depth at two vaunted positions, but we also lose depth at one of our probably the probably the shallowest uh, position in the organization right now, but it is mitigated to a degree by the fact that um, just today, actually, Tim Parker's extension was announced. Massive contract uh, negotiated for him by Ron Waxman. So, uh, well, congratulations, Wax, and congratulations on getting paid. 
Tim. <laughs> it's a it's a lot of money that we're basically throwing at Tim Parker. Yeah. Um, but I think so as I see it, you know, it's an added depth winger and now we have three center backs in the roster. So at least the, the depth starts sort of starting to take shape a little bit. So I guess we'll begin by talking about that first domino, right? Losing and down, but adding Tarek. And I think, you know, I mean, reviewing Tarek's tape, I think, like, you can definitely see a lot of the attributes um, that make him a pretty sensible fit for this team and what, especially, like, we demand of our defenders, right? I think you can see his uh, speed is a pretty big asset in helping him play that recovery defense. But also, more importantly, his versatility allows him to provide depth at fullback for spotting for Kamar Lawrence, but also at center back. And that's very useful for a team like ours, you know, especially of how much um, not having a quality backup option at left back really hurt us last year, especially in the playoffs. And we don't really need to go through all that again. But hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we'll begin with that. Um, your thoughts on this pickup, Fernando? I like it. Um, yeah, this is it, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, the the whole thing is kind of interesting because you know this this team is obviously known at this point as you know the premier development organization um, in in U.S. soccer, right. and to to basically lose Big Haas, who was I would think it's a safe thing to say was our biggest center back prospect. To basically give him up to pick up a 26-year-old depth guy is, I don't know, maybe a little, con- maybe not counterintuitive, but definitely the opposite of maybe what you would expect this team to do. So it's interesting, but I think to me that shows that maybe because after this development time, maybe showed that you know he can develop into a really good player, but maybe just not into the really good player that we need for us. Um, also, I think that we saw in this season that, um, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to have a little bit of experience in, in the, um, in the depth, in the depth chart, having someone like, um, like Amaro, I, I, his, his just looking at some video as bad as Orlando was, I think they could have been a lot worse had he not been on that team. I really think that he was definitely uh, the bright star of a very, very, very dim back line um, over in Orlando. So it's it's he's he's the kind of player that that I feel you have to question. Um, you have to you almost have to ask yourself, okay, is this the kind of player where? their performance will be elevated significantly when they're surrounded by better guys. And I say this because I saw like this guy look like he was on emergency defending mode for full 90 minutes and not because he was playing a high line and that's kind of just what he's expected to do. It was playing emergency defending for 90 minutes because basically everyone around him was just absolutely fucking awful. And he was picking, cleaning up everyone's mess. So for me, so for me, that's good because it shows that his mind is already kind of at that understanding of having to think fast, having to be positioned uh, in the right spot to emergency defend. Um, he's got great close down speed. I mean, I, I saw a couple of um, 
He's got a couple of highlight videos out there, and yes, I know highlight videos only show you the best, but the thing about highlight videos is if you know what you're looking for, you can spot good individual qualities. And there were a couple of times where, uh, I mean, his close down speed to to Joseph Martinez was actually very good. I mean, he's he's probably one of the faster uh, uh, forwards in the league, so he may not be as as flat out uh, top uh, top end quick as um, as uh, let's say Kamar or even Long or Parker, but he's got really he's got a good burst of speed. He's got a good close down speed. Um, so I think for us, that's going to be important if, if we're asking him to, to play, you know, really high. Um, I saw a lot of Kamar type tackles where you're seeing him run. And the second he dives in, you're like, awesome. You're getting a red. And then it's like a split second later. Wow. That was an absolutely incredible uh, tackle. So that's, that's also good because you know, that plays a part in emergency defending. Sometimes you have to, you know, put out a fire by just, you know, kind of just throwing in there and getting the ball out and, and letting things kind of just reset a little bit. Um, I didn't see too, too much of his passing, but it does look like he can kind of, you know, he can ball a little bit. Um, one interesting thing I saw from, from not just the highlights, but I did kind of took some time to, to, to watch a couple of extended highlights uh, from Orlando, some of the games this year. And um, he definitely has a knack to push up very, very far up. There were a lot of times where I saw him like in the box I got, I got like some Amir vibes. So just from some looking at a couple of videos, maybe two hours or so uh, worth of, of a video from highlights and actual, you know, condensed footage, whatever from uh, condensed games, he seems like a weird hybrid of like Kamar, Amir and, and, and long in some ways, like there's, there's a little bit of each and that's going to be really awesome to see comes preseason and, and, and next season because, that versatility is something that we need, you know, and, yeah. and we saw that, right? We had someone like Fidel, who is a good center back, who maybe could have played as a left back, but like that's absolute yikes, I think, at that point. But if you have someone like like Amara come uh, on the bench and Kamar goes out, well, you can put him over there, right? Or you yeah. could even play – you could even play three in the back. I saw that he um, – Orlando played uh, with a three-center back formation a couple of times, and he was, guy, he was the guy in the middle, so if there's ever a situation where we need to do that, well, he can go in the middle, Long can go out wide, Park can go out wide, or maybe Parker stays in the middle and Long and Amor go out wide. He's just a really, really good, versatile guy. And this is someone who plays for the Egyptian national team. So that's really good experience to have also. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, to kind of build on this a little bit, like uh, when you're talking about like additional um, attributes about him, I think what also really stood out for me in his tape is that um, – you're used to seeing some defenders panic when you're harassed on the ball, right? As soon as the moment that they're pressured, they usually boot it up yeah. the field or boot it out into the touch. I mean, like what was very impressive about him is that he's very spatially aware about what goes on around him. And he has the composure needed to move the ball into space and then pick out a pretty good pass to an open man or make a more measured clearance. You know, I think, that's that. Those are the kinds of things that are very impressive when you consider just how you, how there isn't really quite a lot of defenders in this league who are capable of doing exactly that. You know, that's true. Uh, I I think he like to to kind of emphasize this point of seeing a little bit of Fidel. You know, it's true. I think uh, he does have this ball playing ability where um, because of how because of how technical and how smooth he is. 
in defense that allows him, I think, to do a lot of things that to do a lot of things that you don't really see a lot of defenders in the league really being capable of doing. So the fact that we managed to get a guy who can potentially be relied on to play the ball out the back for a fourth round pick in the super draft is a, <laughs> a fantastic piece of business either way. Yeah. How scores well, both to, to just watch earlier. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I do. Yeah. It's, it is, it is, we, we should though mention that it's, it's going to end up actually being a little bit more than a fourth round pick. Okay. So news came out a little bit after uh, uh, um, the release Late last night, because somewhere a lot of Orlando fans were absolutely livid. They were not thrilled about this at all. But there were also some other fans who were confused because of, I guess, some talk about kind of how his deal in MLS was even structured. So apparently he was actually on loan. People have to remember that technically MLS MLS owns the player contracts, not the teams. So apparently what happened is Orlando waived him. And the league base, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but what essentially happened was the league decided to pick up the transfer and now we're actually on the hook for it. So there is good. So he, he is officially per the team's release. He was, he was transferred to Orlando and then now he's coming to us because we, 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 we picked him up on the, you know, via trade, but on the back end, what's really happening is, the league is basically saying, okay, you know, transfer him, but Orlando has nothing to do with the transfer fee. That's actually going to be on us. And apparently there's also um, part of the reason why Orlando uh, uh, dealt him out is not just, I guess they can't afford the transfer fee, whatever it is. I mean, it could be $300,000 and Orlando wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, but also he is getting a pay bump. So he's only on 88000 per the Players Union release. I can't imagine going him up to you know three four hundred thousand dollars, but even if he only goes up to one fifty two hundred thousand, and let's say there's a small three four hundred thousand dollar transfer fee, that's still really good in my opinion. I mean, that's some like big club shit to be willing to drop a transfer fee for a guy that's probably going to be on the bench more often than not. Yeah, um, and I think when 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 you talk about him particularly, I think uh, that. We already identified that um, this is a probably great option to have as your third center back or your second left back off the bench for a variety of reasons. And the fact that we willingly went out and got someone like him in the immediate aftermath of losing Hassan and Dumb is a really good indicator that the team is probably has, you know, a number of that the team's looking to add personnel i think both from inside the league and outside the league no matter which and that they have had a number of targets identified as a result of that you know so i'm not necessarily ruling out more i i think i was kind of admittedly overtly fixated on the fact that we'd be um adding to our center back court from outside the league that I didn't really consider that there may already be moves in place to kind of bring someone in from inside that we can groom as well, you know? And I think these moves definitely indicate that, but yeah, this was, this definitely seemed like this was a planned thing. I mean, uh, remember the rebel to rebel, one of the, the, the rebel Twitter accounts, I don't know if it was, I think it was RB two, just casually mentioned how much of a good season, uh, you know, big Haas had. Um, And the timing of, of that trade announcement was, 
I think also pretty, you know, it, it, it didn't just happen. Like I, I definitely think this was kind of a planned thing within at least the last week or so where they knew, okay, let's work something out where they're going to kind of just let go of, of, of big Haas in the, in the, uh, in the expansion draft. They knew it, but already had planned on, on, on maybe picking up, um, this guy from Orlando. So yeah, they, 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 a lot, this definitely seems like a very planned out thing. So I, it has me excited because we're only barely, two, we're what, two weeks, two weeks tomorrow, uh, removed from the, from the end of our season. And we're, we're already, we're now starting to see things click. So this is good. Yeah. Um, and I guess on the topic of big Haas, you know, uh, First of all, the nickname started a Metro Fan TV, so um, <laughs> we have that to uh, <laughs> we we have that to uh, mull over at least as well. Uh, shout out to Tom for helping us get this off the ground as well. And you know, I think I, I was admittedly quite upset initially to see him go because I mean, the, the the MLS potential hadn't really quite been realized. We definitely saw flashes of it in a three-man back line earlier this year. But, you know, I think it doesn't take away from the fact that there were some questions about how well it would transfer over at MLS level, right? Because I think the biggest thing against him is that we knew he was aerially dominant and he knew that he was a very big presence in the air. But that was a question of whether or not he had the requisite foot speed to play the kind of emergency defense that we usually demand from our defenders so um, I really think that you, you, you hit the nail on the head like earlier in saying that he's probably going to be – he has the potential to be a good to great center back for someone else who may not necessarily be us. You know, Because while he I, – I really have him pegged as a real potentially great center back but not a potentially great energy drink soccer center back if that yep. makes sense. You know, cause, no, no, that definitely does. That definitely does. And you know, as much as it stings, I think – in a way, I'm, I'm a bit more comfortable having someone who does have that profile of uh, being able to make those recovery runs really well as our main depth option off the back. And, you know, I mean, I really do wish nothing but the best for Hassan. You know, he seems really stoked to be going to Cincinnati. And uh, it seems like they've been admirers of him for a, for a while. So um, they probably have some kind of uh, um, plan for him. But I think what stands out about Tarek is, uh, is that, you know, I hadn't seen that kind of ball playing ability in and Dom either. When I really thought about it, like you could tell that he's sort of a bit more of like your traditional shutdown bruiser type center back, you know, like a much improved version of say, he's more of a Tim Parker than an Aaron long, you know, and it feels like we yeah. got another kind of Aaron long type player from Orlando city in this, I'm not saying that Amro is as good as Aaron Long because that'd be ludicrous having not seen him play a minute for us. But mm-hmm. they have similar profiles, is what I'm trying to say. You know, yeah. the char- the characteristics. Here, I mean, that, that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, and uh, and you know, I mean, I think on behalf of uh, me and Fernando, I mean, like, well, Hassan, it was great seeing you. Absolutely jovial dude, who I, I think we wish nothing but the best for. But unfortunately. Uh, this is going to be the first time Metro Fan TV that we really bid adieu to a guy who uh, we've really come to enjoy watching grow at Red Bull Two over the years. So, kind of a kind of an off season of upheaval for Red Bull Two as well, right? I mean, losing Hassan and Dom and Willie on the same day like that was kind of kind of wild, man. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Montclair. shit. Shout out to Willie. 
Montclair is not Montclair is never going to be the same, dude. But I guess I mean I don't think I'm going to be there anytime soon anyway. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess we'll move on to the waiver draft for the time being, because uh, uh, yeah, I mean I was kind of shocked that you know we we actually made a selection in this stupid ass thing. Um, Fab, uh, sorry, not Fabian Herbers. My God, Marcus Epps. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus Epps being selected from the Philadelphia Union, and I think that's one that I don't think, no matter how good you are at stalking people in Twitter, that you'd have as a move that we would potentially make, or as a target that we even identified. But um, I admittedly don't really know too much about him. Because uh, the move happened while I was asleep, and I woke up this morning to it. Um, but I think you know, judging from the five-minute clips that I've seen of him, which admittedly isn't a great um, indicator of talent by any means, but you know, it's clear that this is a, a guy who can play both wing positions and chip in a bunch of goals while he's at it. You know, I think it seems that this is a, definitely a bit more of a depth move to add a bit more goal scoring punch off the bench potentially and it seems that we're basically giving him a year to show us what he can do and if it works and if it works out and he turns out to be a great bench weapon or even like in the best case scenario supplants a place into starting 11 then hey that's great you know we essentially got a guy off the scrap heap who we turned into um, a very valuable or contributor to the team either way. So uh, this is definitely sort of one of those low-risk, medium-reward moves for me. Uh, we definitely did need to add some kind of more consistent weapon off the bench last year, I think, because some of the guys who came on off were a bit inconsistent or didn't really... or were very boomer bust, you know? And I think if... You have someone who can kind of con- who can kind of consistently contribute, like um, goal scoring goals or uh, more dangerous playmaking off the bench. Then you know that can can't be anything but a good good thing. But I'm really gonna have to see how it plays out in preseason, Marcus Epps. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. Um, you know, just looking at some clips, he he looks like he he has some level of talent. Um, the thing that struck that that struck me the most. Is he looks confident when he plays, and I think sometimes if you know if you have if you have real talent, real abilities to do things, um, sometimes all it takes is just a little bit of confidence and, and the right people around you to really bring that out. Um, I'm you know did Philly's Philly was a decent you know they had they had a decent run this year. It was probably their best year uh, I think they've ever had. Um, so. But he was also kind of behind some guys that that I think he was probably never going to break through. I don't expect him to be our starting our starting winger, but just from the little I've seen, again, he looks like he's got some talent. There are some things I like about him. He looks confident in the ball. He looks like he's confident to to take a shot. You know, he's not scared to take a shot outside the box or or, or just inside um, instead of trying to you know take fifteen extra freaking touches into the box to to end up being five feet from, from the goal and end shoot. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. There, there, there's a couple, there's some things I've seen that, that, that piqued my curiosity. Um, it did happen today. So I really haven't had, um, 
uh, you know, only a couple hours ago. So I, didn't have, I haven't had that much time to really like try to, you know, scout and watch video and, and really, you know, get a really good look of him. But from the live scene, you know, I think it'll be a good, de- a good death piece. At, at the very least, this is potentially a player who can maybe put Derek Etienne on his, on his toes a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You maybe kind of push him a little, little bit to like, look, you know, you've done well for us, but we kind of need you to step up to be the player we, we thought you'd be. Um, which I think we saw definitely strides of that this year. But, you know, roster competition is never a bad thing. So worst case yeah. scenario, this pushes, you know, Etienne to, to, to improve more. Like, again, like we have seen year to year from him. Um, and, and he show and, and Epps shows that he's, he's quality enough to, to get solid minutes. So it's, it's, you know, if it's not, he's, he's on the bench. We want to the next. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely always been a matter of consistency with Derek for me. And, uh, that's kind of what I was hinting to with regards to current bent options, not really providing consistent production off the bench. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with that as well. If Epps' addition pushes Derek to uh, find that level of consistency that he needs to really be a full-time MLS starter, then that's even better. You know, I think the real worst case scenario is if they both bust, I think, but um, even if they do, like, I I don't really think that we're really losing that much by taking a guy off the MLS waiver draft that much. So it's what I'm going to reiterate. Like, I think it really feels like low risk, medium reward for me. You know, I think, that's all I really got in this uh, move. Because I think before we round out the segment, I think uh, we, we, we do have to talk about the Tim Parker contract for a bit because it's great bringing back Tim Parker. But we also understand that he's getting Mass. capital P-A-I-D, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. $800,000 a year. A year. Yeah. I, Two I, point, 2.04 million over three years because his agent decided to tweet out that shit. That messy Maybe he'll advise to do that. Yeah. Yeah. A little messy. Because I imagine in a couple years, you're going to have Aaron Long knocking on Dennis's door with a printout of this tweet saying, <laughs> I want this. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if that contract is backloaded. Like maybe he makes you know, high sixes or somewhere in, in, in the sevens uh, in 2019. And then it kind of just escalates to some higher amount in, 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 um, I guess it would be 2021 or something. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's backloaded because in, in, you know, in three years, he's going to be on a trading block to, to offload his, uh, his, uh, his salary, but we'll see either way. That, that's just, that is an incredibly high amount of money. It's, that's definitely more than I, that I thought he was going to get. I figured, I figured it would be a TAM deal for like six to seven hundred thousand a year, not you know possibly eight hundred thousand or more. That's 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 nuts. Yeah, but but I, I think that- at the same time, I'm not worried because you know just a reminder: 2019, um, 2019, we get a whole new pot of allocation money as long as we haven't tapped into that already. But we get one point two million from the league. And then there's an additional 2.8 million uh, discretionary TAM, which basically it's a TAM amount, but the team has to pay for. And then that also doesn't include whatever TAM we have left over from this year, or you know maybe some from last year. Other allocation money we've earned from winning the Supporter Shield, semifinals in Champions League, qualifying for Champions League again. Like there's definitely a huge rush, huge addition of allocation money. So I don't think anyone should have to worry about um, that huge amount of some 
uh, limiting what this team could do going forward. Yeah, and uh, and I think you know um, the, the nice thing about this move, particularly, is that it's um, improvement by maintaining the status quo. If that makes sense, so that yeah, one really. It does. Um, we basically have locked in the same back four that led us to the best, if not one of the best defensive records in MLS history last year. You know, like this was a back four that was essentially the spine of the team that kept everything up, you know, and I can't, even though the price may have been steep to keep that going, like you said, we do have the avenues needed to kind of lock down to the two guys who are central to that, you know, I think Kamar's locked down. Aaron Long can be locked down because of all the uh, allocation money that we have left over. Like you mentioned that I think Tim Parker's contract isn't really going to affect operations too much because I think we still, again, have so much left over that I don't anticipate Aaron Long's raise to be particularly tricky. And I feel like, since 2019 is his option year that we're probably going to have negotiations going on during the season anyway. Definitely. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a new contract for Aaron, like announced maybe halfway through the season. Cause um, you got to lock him down because he's, he's basically the glue that holds the whole back line together. Whether or not Amir moves on after the season is another thing as well, but well, that's a, that's a problem that I guess we'll talk about when we get there. Yeah. But you know, on behalf of me and Fernando, congratulations to him on getting paid. Yep. You deserved it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Ron Waxman is a hell of an agent. Like, <laughs> I need him to negotiate my fucking pay raise at my job. Yeah, dude. Like, I have a couple job offers now, and if Wax was my agent for him, they'd probably get like $5,000 starting pay right off the bat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if like full benefits and shit. Yeah. Like, I think that's the real takeaway for from this for me is that I really need Ron Waxman to represent me in my ne- in negotiations <laughs> with organizations. So yeah. if anyone can drop me a line as to how I can reach him, like that'd be fucking great. Yeah, because I'm gonna, I need this dough, man. Yeah, I'm going to tweet at him like, hey, dude, do you help IT guys out? Because <laughs> uh, if you do, let me know. That'd be, re- that'd be really um, nice, Waxman. But I, I, guess to, Waxy boy. I guess to round this out, I guess we can really quick just go over some of the roster decisions. Um, I don't think anything was really a surprise at all. Uh, so the exercise, the options of Loro, Rymera, Duncan, Long, Amir, Bezicourt, Etienne, Wheel, Velo, um, our future hero, Anatola Bang, um, Brian White. They declined the contracts of Colin, Cutler, Politz, and Rivas. Um, and then they declined the end of loan options for our boy Fidel and also Riza. Um, and then it says that uh, there are already 12 players on a contract, which was uh, Luis, Laid, Kamar, uh, Big Haas, who's not with the team anymore as we went over, um, Casarus, Davis, Ivan, Gaku, Mines, Royer, BWP, and uh, Coffee. Coffee. I can't pronounce his name because I'm stupid. Yeah. Um, but I think, oh, I, I think circling back to um, this thing about options, uh, you know, like we, like because of the option, the options that were picked up, we did have uh, the potential that to, to lose a whole bunch of guys in that expansion draft. And if there's a silver lining to Ndam being taken, it's the fact that a lot of our key yeah. players in other positions, such as Velo or Duncan, 
stay. Yeah, I, I, court stays as well, which adds that extra center midfield option. So, um, yeah, that that protect yeah. that 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 list definitely like scared the shit out of out of, out of I know us. Like we we talked about this a little bit, um, you know, on our own, like on Twitter and stuff about you know some of the uh, the the decisions that were definitely scary. I mean, I I I was. I was I was almost convinced that 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 Big Haas has had a much of a chance of getting picked as as a flow, and if we lost him, I think that would have been really 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 bad. Yeah, but he did it. Yeah, so. I, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, lo- lo- losing Florian below would have really really rustled my jimmies if you ask me. Yeah. So I'm really really glad that that didn't happen. Um, I think this is one addition, one additional thing that we can talk about is actually actually like some of these guys coming back from injury are going to be like new signings. It's an Arsene Wenger cliche, but it's true. Okay, like <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Um, I think if we can anticipate a healthy full season from Duncan and below, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be deeper. We're gonna be a lot stronger, I think, down the stretch than we were last year. Because, I mean, we essentially lost a very important starting 11 member and a very important um, depth piece, you know, coming off the bench, you know, because if Duncan doesn't go down and down, it's potentially him spotting for Kamar Lawrence in the playoffs instead of Connor Lee, you know, and I think that can't really be emphasized how big that is. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing those guys get back in action. And I'm really glad that we ultimately didn't really end up losing them to Cincinnati either. So, yeah, I mean, good stuff all around. I mean, some it's it's unfortunate that we lost Big Haas, but um, generally still pretty good outlook going into the first week at the offseason. So I, I'm kind of – I've been a fan of how we've conducted our business so far. Same. Definitely seems that like we're going to be very busy. Um, anything else to add, really? No. I mean, the only thing I will add is, is you know – what what makes me feel good about a lot of, of, of these depth pieces is just because um, with so many competitions going on next year, again, we have Champions League right at the start of the season. We have MLS. We have the U.S. Open Cup. Um, but there's going to be a lot of guys heading out to, for, uh, for the Gold Cup. Um, and also... Uh, there was another torn that we might be um, overseas that we might be losing guys, but basically this summer we might be really, really tapping deep into this team's depth. So, you know, a guy like Amaro is definitely going to play a big part in um, a big part in what we could potentially do. So um, Robles's knee is hanging by a thread. So we need him to stay healthy. Royer is coming you know he has some kind of knee injury still kamar we don't know the seriousness of his knee injury um so those are three guys who actively have ligament issues uh and then we have uh bezicourt velo and duncan you know three guys coming coming back from um coming back from knee injuries so um yeah you know it, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see it's gonna be interesting to see how this roster shapes up comes preseason because I I think that depending on some of the additions that they make, I think might give a little bit of a glimpse of not just them really trying to add depth, but also maybe shine a little bit of, of light in how concerned maybe we should be with some of the starters. But that's about all I have. Yeah. Um, 
my prediction, I think going ahead, we, we see more defensive reinforcements. I think you're going to see at least maybe a couple of center backs. Um, maybe an additional midfielder, um, particularly for the center, whether it's a veteran option uh, from outside the organization or someone. And I think maybe, maybe, just maybe an additional attacker, but that one I'm not really so sold on. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of my outlook is that this is going to be a very defense centric, um, off season. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of struggling with this one. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I have zero doubts we're going to get attack and additions. In fact, I would be shocked if we don't sign a third DP that ends up being um, like a hybrid striker winger. That's my big prediction for this off season is they're going to, they're going to spend money on, um on a, on a third, on the third DP. Hmm. All right. Well, we shall um, see. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, previewing, uh, the uh, off season so far is one thing, but right after break, we'll be reviewing the 2018 season with our special guest. Don't go away. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on episode 18 of the Betcha Fan TV Rundown. And this is the segment where we go over 18 on 18. And joining us is none other than the man on main himself, Andrew Vizano. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm good. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. <laughs> I know it's a shocker, isn't it? This is uh, it, that it took so long. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, we made it, ladies and gentlemen. It's our first celebrity guest, and it's an in-house celebrity in line with our team philosophy. We ha- go with in-house stars. We don't bring them in from outside. Promote Subs from within, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the pods that do bring in celebrity guests from the outside. You guys are, just, are traitors to the cause. Just <laughs> nothing less, nothing more. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I kid. I kid. I kid. Only 52 seconds into the segment, and I'm already making it messy. Like, God damn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll begin by asking you this. I think, Andrew, obviously, as the comms director, sorry, maybe not director, but the comms manager for the team, um, obviously, you're up close and personal with what was a very special group of players this year. You know, I think on the road with them for every away game, but also every day in training with them as well. You know, like I think you got to see how this group kind of coalesced and came together to become what seemed like a, to be a very close knit group, right? Like it wasn't just special in the way that they managed to turn out results on the field, but it also seemed very special with how well they got along with each other. You know, like it really did seem like a very, very familial group, you know? Uh, that- yeah. And- you know, not to not to jump in on you there, but absolutely. I think, you know, I think this club, um, more than any club I've ever, you know, covered from the outside and now it's sort of being a, a part of a club on the inside, but this club sort of preaches that more than any, any other club I've seen. And I think we really, um, we really hold true to that. And I think this team this year, the, the 2018 squad was, was pretty, um, and emblematic of, of what, that could sort of do what what that sort of closeness and that atmosphere day in and day out can do for a club 
um, you know, as we, you know, came so, so close to, to tasting the first MLS cup, but, you know, obviously getting silverware along the way with, with an incredible season, historic season with a supporter shield, um, a strong run through champions league. And, you know, you, you, you can sort of look and say, okay, one ball goes the, the wrong way here or the wrong way there. And, you know, you're, you're knocking on the door. Um, and, and, you know, we were for, for all intents and purposes. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that sort of, you know, being able to witness that and is something so special. And I think, you know, sort of what, what I go into every day thinking about is how I can best share that with fans and in some way, shape or form to, to show off more than just the guys on the pitch, you know, putting in the work, but, you know, off the pitch to what, what are they doing, you know, in their downtime, what do they do sort of between each other, um, you know, I think some of the stuff we shot in preseason was was like the funnier stuff where you can see, you know, what guys are doing, what, you know, with the would you rathers or the the my firsts, um, you know, it just shows a glimpse into these guys because, you know, they're they're obviously soccer players, but they're also people and they're it's a really special group of people. And I think I hope we, we showed some of that this year during this uh, incredible season. Yeah, yeah, those little short videos were, were, were really fun, uh, really fun to watch. And it definitely showed. I, you guys definitely, I think, achieved your goal. I mean, I, there was some. There was a side of a lot of the players um, that I definitely haven't seen, especially with Kamar. I didn't realize he was that much of a clown. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and these but, are like uh, the uh, interesting things that reveal themselves, right? I think with the locker room dynamics, especially that most other teams in MLS don't really um, give a very in-depth um, focus on. You know, as the relationships between the players in the field. And, and I'm with Fernando in this one, you know, I think none of us would have really picked up like how, like how, I mean, we knew that Kamar generally was a bit lighthearted, but we didn't realize like how much that attitude spread to the rest of the team, you know, like uh, I think it was really fun to see like just how focused they were on destroying teams on the field, but off of it, they were just, they, they, the jovial atmosphere, I think that was created in this locker room in particular, like really, I think, I think really adds to that level of on-field performance because you have guys who are willing to die for each other off the field who will die for each other on it, you know, and I think that really came through, you know, um, it wasn't just um, Kamar, it was Alex Mwil as well, definitely showed up to be a very uh, interesting character in some of those videos. <laughs> oh yeah. You have, you have no idea guys. Some of these crazy, some of them were crazy. I think only uh, half of what Alex said made it into those cuts. Uh, he, is, <laughs> he is a character. Um, yeah. We absolutely love Alex. He, he definitely brings sort of that levity um, and, and sort of um, jovial atmosphere to, to training and, and to games and to, to the, the locker room as well. I mean, we definitely knew that something was up when Samurai Wheel showed up to the first uh, training session. During we were right? we were sitting around going through like our phones the other day, just looking back on like all the stuff that happened this season and like his Alex's cornrows and his his man bun thing in in preseason and Champions League. Like, who knew? Like, can't even <laughs> remember that that happened, and that was like such a big thing for a week on on RBNY Twitter, and then you know everything else that had happened since. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's just like one of the cool things I think for uh, not not just about about this sport, but also this league kind of being uh, relatively young, but also just this team being as cheesy as it normally is to say a family type of family type of a uh, of, of vibe you get from from the team. Um, but it's cool to like see 
a real like side of some of the players. You know, a lot of athletes, it's very robotic. It's like, okay, they're the player. This is them doing, you know, usual things. And like, that's kind of it. You don't, you don't really get to see like their, their, you know, their personal side. I mean, you can always, of course, jump on social media and stuff, but to see the, the perspective of how they, of how the players are on a personal level among each other, like with other players, I think is something you don't get to see normally with like other sports and other teams. And, and I think that definitely, as che- again, as cheesy as it is that you, you kind of hear, it's almost of a cliche, you know, it's a family vibe and a family, you know, we're, we're a big family and blah, blah, blah. This team, you really do get that sense that, you know, it's not just a thing that they're saying, but when you, if you see the way they interact with each other, you know, kind of behind the scenes, it's, they are, they're, they're like a, a big, you know, group of big, a big family. It's just pretty cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we try and do with some of those behind the scenes type, you know, the all access videos and, and, and the like sort of show you behind the curtain a little bit um, to, to see that and, and really to connect. And I think that's the, that's the power and the beauty of social media. And I hope we sort of, um, you know, capture a little bit of that and share a little bit of that with our fans so that they get, they feel closer with the club because I think, you know, beyond just the players in the field, I think, you know, this club, if we preach, you know, that we are, you know, together always on the field and off and, you know, our, our efforts in the community and with our supporters, um, you know, is, is trying to make that as inclusive as possible. And I think, you know, just bringing that in and, and bringing fans sort of into the locker room, you know, to, to glimpse some of that. Again, you, you don't see that a lot of other places. And I hope we, uh, you know, we show that so that fans do feel more sort of informed and, uh, you know, part of the club in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And I think uh, what some of us would be curious about, actually, uh, some of the um, new additions over the offseason coming in and trying to blend into the dynamic in the locker room. I think uh, one of the more interesting tidbits that we saw, I think that was dropped by Chris Armis in one of those all access videos was, uh, you know, this idea that Amir was starting to come out of his shell a little bit, you know, because it seemed to me that maybe the language barrier was a bit of a hindrance. But then the addition of another major Spanish speaking player, right, and Kaku coming in and seemingly, you know, immediately rubbing off on the rest of the guys as well, you know, in spite of the fact that um, he may not necessarily speak the same language as a lot of the other guys, you know, I think it's very clear to me that um, just there's just this very infectious level of positivity that um, that that has kind of come in and re-energized a lot of even our, our old veterans. You know, you started seeing um, or guys who had been on the roster even before that. You know, I think you definitely saw that with um, Brad coming out and starting to spit hot fire and uh, dropping his own <laughs> clothing label, which is significant, right? And basically... Um, um, Colin getting in on the shenanigans as well. I mean, like, uh, would you be willing to kind of shed some insight into how, if and any, and how um, some of these new additions to the team kind of changed up the dynamic a little bit and help foster this yeah. culture positivity? Yeah, and I mean, I think starting with the sort of the Spanish speakers and 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 how they've sort of either come out of their shell or you know have have sort of spread around the team is, I think, one of the big things this year is that a lot of our players. Um, the Spanish speakers have English lessons, um, and they're in there, uh, multiple times a week, if not every day, um, before training or after training, um, you know, getting lessons in English. And I think, you know, a big part of this club, uh, over the last couple of years is also getting our English speakers to learn Spanish. Um, you know, guys like, uh, Aaron Long, uh, can dabble and, and can communicate fairly well. Um, Luis Robles has been taking a lot of time and effort to, to sort of study Spanish and, and be able to communicate with these guys more. Um, 
And, you know, I think that sort of two-way communication and, and that sort of two-way street that it's not just you come here, you learn English, but it's our guys taking the time to also learn learn Spanish and, and sort of bridge that gap has been, you know, something, you know, special. I think they realize like, oh, look, they those guys are putting in the effort to communicate with me, um, you know, in my language, in, on, in my tongue, you know, to maybe explain things a little better or maybe I'll, I'll get the gist of it a little more. And I think that sort of opens the doors up a little more and, and sort of you know, let your guard down a little more than, than you would, you know, to, to create that fam- familial atmosphere. And yeah, I mean, Kaku's smile is sort of infectious and it's become sort of a popular meme, but that guy's always smiling. Um, he is, he is one of the happiest guys um, I've ever met. And I think, you know, that sort of, that sort of, you know, how he carries himself day in and day out sort of can spread throughout the club. So I think, you know, guys like Maria or look to him and, and can see like, look, you know, carrying yourself this way and, and carrying yourself in this capacity and, and around these these guys. These are my brothers. These are my family. Um, and I think that helps open him up a little bit. So definitely, you know, sort of seen all of that sort of come together. And I think it's been something that's been sort of the ball's been rolling for a while. And we're really seeing like the fruits of the effort now. And I think, you know, I think it's on us, you know, in the in the digital team and the comms team to help sort of share that story as much as we can. So we you know we know that fans are sort of looking for that, craving that, and, and that's why we're 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 doing what we're doing to create that content or include that content online and photos, videos, all accesses, etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think again, it, it goes back to this like sort of all we're all in this together type atmosphere where it's not just you know oh I I you know I thinking about Tim Parker like he joined us in Tijuana and I you know started a few days later and it was just like yeah he's he's part of the club now like. We're going to welcome him with open arms, and and obviously, you know, he he went on to to lead and and you know the defense and uh, to have a historic season. And now, obviously, the the news that he's he's resigned and inked a long term contract with the club. I think, you know, being sort of welcome and open arms and, and bringing him in, um, you know, puts us all on the right foot together to, to add a teammate. Obviously he knew a guy like, like Connor from, from college, but it, it puts you on the right foot and it makes you want to be a part of the club, obviously, you know, for what's best for him and, and what's best for the club might not always be the same, but obviously, you know, in this, in this case it is because, you know, he's, he's inked here long-term and you know, I think we're all happier for that. And I think that, that the same holds true for anyone else. Um, I hope. <laughs> the, the the language part is interesting because I mean as you know Hispanic myself even though I'm a terrible Puerto Rican and I can't speak Spanish I am obviously around a lot of bilingual other Hispanics and it's it's definitely a much different thing I think especially in on uh in, in teams a different approach where you know typically it's you're coming here you have to learn our language I mean and not not to get too political but that's almost an American type of of, of mindset of this idea of you know assimilating to what you're going to so it's a cool different approach to see the team being like okay you have to you obviously have to learn our language but at the same time we want to be able to communicate with you and make you feel comfortable so to me that like to me personally that strikes home as like being extremely awesome because i don't know of really many other teams that that um kind of make that uh, a point of emphasis for for the the other players and, and the staff and stuff like that to really take that extra effort to to make the international guys feel even more welcome. Like that's, that's really awesome to that, uh, that they do that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we, we've certainly come a long way from the days of Mucho Trabajo now, haven't we, guys? Um, <laughs> I, I think actually... You know this- what? Speaking of, real quick, I'm sorry, real quick. So, Robles and Chris Armas... Well, Robles is half Puerto Rican. Chris Armas is obviously born in, in New York, but his parents are Puerto Rican. Do any of the Spanish guys bust their chops about not knowing Spanish? I mean, just like you said, Fernando, that you're a, you're a bad a bad a bad <laughs> Latino person as you can't speak Spanish, you can't speak it well. Uh, Chris uh, fully admitted to that, um, and obviously he's he's obviously uh, sort of leading the charge in in, in Spanish classes now, um, and being able to communicate with the guys is important for him. But yeah, you know, coming in, um, I think he's lived his whole life without without speaking much Spanish. So yeah, he's he's in the same boat as you. I think, I think this is the, the uh, interesting thing about this for me, especially like uh, when it regards to Chris Armas, actually like a major storyline during the season was that managerial shift, right? Going from Jesse Marsh to Chris Armas. And, uh, you know, I think it was kind of, it, it's kind of known that any time that you have a dramatic shift in the management team is that there's going to be a lot of cultural changes over time as well. Right. So um, I think what was kind of interesting was trying to maybe seeing the little glimpses into um, the guys at the club trying to kind of adjust from Jesse's ways to Armis's ways, right? So um, there were also definitely very clear philosophical differences between the two, right? I think you kind of got glimpses of that in interviews where um, Jesse would be described as being a very intense person who'd really, um, who'd really emphasize effort and um, getting the fundamentals right in training, right? Very intense on a personal basis. Whereas Chris Armas was kind of described as being a bit more of a detail-oriented person who maybe would kind of have a bit more of a slightly more loose feeling around him, trying to keep things a bit more lighthearted, you know? So I think it was kind of interesting for us as well to see how well this transition was managed going from Jesse Marsh to Chris Armis. And I was kind of curious as to um, generally like how the guys like maybe responded to that shift behind the scenes. Cause we know that both figures were definitely very popular for different reasons amongst the players. Right. So um, seeing, I, I, I guess like, like from your perspective, Andrew, like going from Jesse Marsh to Chris Armis, like what was the immediate sort of um, mood in and around that period of transition actually. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the mood was, was fairly normal. Um, you know, knowing, knowing that Chris sort of has been, you know, was Jesse's right hand man while, while Jesse was here and, um, was, was ready to take over. I think, um, you know, I don't think, I don't think a lot changed, obviously, you know, and Chris has spoken to this is that he obviously has his, his opinions and his feelings and how, um, the system should be run and, and how, you know, best to play certain players or, you know, how to best manage a game and, and things like that. And all of that was, was shared while, while Jesse was here. Um, and, you know, Jesse could, you know, make that decision himself as, as the head coach. And now that Chris is the head coach, he can, he can make those decision decisions with, with input from his assistant coaches. So, um, you know, I think everybody knows we have sort of a system that we play with Red Bull and, and, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, that's, that's the system. Um, but you can definitely see that there are, you know, differences between, between Jesse and Chris. And I think, you know, Chris has not been shy about, about how, 
he does differ from Jesse. Um, but in, in terms of the players and the mood, I, I don't think anything really changed. Um, yeah, Chris definitely can have a, a, a happier sort of disposition come, come days at training, but there are also days when he's a, you know, a taskmaster and he's making sure that, you know, the balls are staying on the ground and, you know, that the, the guys are hitting their spots or making the right runs. So, you know, I've seen, you know, you can see all sort of sides of, of, of a head coach, especially when you're there sort of every day documenting it, um, you know, every minute of every training. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think what the way he may come off in videos might not be exactly the kind of guy he is all the time. Um, so I, I, all of that said, yes, things changed, but things also stayed very much the same. Um, which is why I think, you know, the club was so successful during the transition and, and afterwards. Um, you know, I think, you know, they played really good. And I think, sure, there may have been a, a, a little bit of a growing pain uh, come, you know, just adjusting to the way new things are being run and, you know, a new head coach. But I don't think it affected the, the club that much. I don't think it affected the players that much. Yeah. Um, as as the product on the field showed. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to complain about this for a bit because, like, we literally had a club across the Hudson River up in the Bronx managing a, tra- a managerial transition just like we did for most of the season. And we came out of it with a supporter's shield and an MLS record amount of points while they slid down the goddamn... while they slid down the goddamn table. So I think for, like, for a moment here, like, can we just appreciate, like, how big it is that we ended up having a record-setting season in spite of a significant manager management change midway through it. Because if this club had a manager transition that was anywhere close to Dome Torrance, like we would have been screwed, you guys. Like, look, like I think like this is this is this is basically like um a reflection of that, you know? Like I think the way that the culture at the organization is set up is set up in a way that helps to manage these transitional moments. And the culture is such that the guys will know to like just kind of soldier on because they still have each other for the rest of the game. And the guys who are coming in to take over the reins from the guys who leave are guys who are very familiar with how to best do that. You know, I think that really can't be emphasized that how important that top down structure is not just from a tactical point of view, but also from a cultural point of view, you know, like we keep the chains moving at all times. Definitely. So, so I mean, a lot of the players are very much online so I'm sure they were aware of a lot of the the early criticisms for Chris. So do you think maybe that in a way kind of galvanized the players to kind of rally around him even more? Because they definitely noticed a a not in a bad way, but definitely like a defensive kind of tone with some of the players uh, a couple times that they were asked about like some changes. You was there some of that going on internally? I think the you know the club obviously the guys are are young and they they use social media just as much as the rest of us. But um, you know I don't I, I don't know if I I'd say that much and, or go that far. But you know they think they are you know what they, we came out of the the NYCFC match in that first game with a one one draw. Um, you know after after some red cards. So you know I think I think it may have been just sort of a personal feeling of of you know could we have done better? Could we be better? Um, and I think, you know, maybe that that may have been sort of the best thing that, that could have happened, you know, coming out of that um, coming out of that transition is that they realized, you know, it's it's still on us. It's 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 about us. It's about what we do on the pitch. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe that helped. Who knew? Uh, who knows? And um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything defensive, but, you know, the guys are obviously aware of, of chatter and, and, and can hear it and, and see it and read it. Um, but you know, coming out of that game and, and coming out of the next couple of weeks, I think it was about 
maybe proving people wrong, people sort of maybe writing them off, um, you know, thinking, okay, you know, a new, a new head coach, um, you know, they're doomed or, you know, the season's over or how crazy is it going to be? Um, and it, and it wasn't. And I think, I think it was a, a lot of the guys taking pride in that and showing that, you know, we're, we're not going to slip up. We're not going to, you know, you know, kick our feet and shuffle our feet and just make it to the end of the year and, and come back next year. It's going to be, look, we're in a good place right now and we can be in a really great place if we stick together and, and continue on this road. Yeah. And I think this kind of extends like to most levels of the uh, organization right now, actually, because, you know, I, I think we realize that guys coming up from Red Bull too are guys who have been fostered in this environment of winning right and this has always been kind of talked about when we talk about young veterans coming in like you know the core of this team was guys who were victorious in 2016 bringing home the usl cup for red bull too and you can definitely see like you know i think a lot of their mentality um from tasting this level of success at usl level definitely carried over to the first team so um, I guess I'm kind of interested in that regard, you know, like uh, seeing these guys come up from Red Bull too. like, do you, do you think that, um, you know, like having these guys come up internally, like really lights a fire under the guys who are currently with the senior team and talking about generally how the level of competition seems to be increasing every single year with every additional move. Right. So um, I, I guess I've kind of been curious about that. Like this, the guys from Ripple Two, like really forced the current guys in the roster to kind of step their game up. Do you see kind of see that in training? Yeah, I mean, I think the beauty of sort of having a, a club, you know, Red Bull Two or a two team or you know a team in USL, sort of being a part of your club and not just sort of a partner club, is that you know day in and day out, uh, Red Bull Two guys are are in training with with the first team guys pretty much on an, on an everyday basis. So, you know, d- depending on how they're playing and, and what's sort of needed and what's required, you'll see guys coming up from Red Bull two, you know, either two or three or five or more guys coming up and playing with the first team uh, on a day-to-day basis throughout all of training. So, um, you know, I think that's what, where it really starts. Um, you know, obviously it starts with the philosophy, right? It goes back to, you know, John, John Walniak and, and Chris Armas and Dennis Hamlet all sort of being aligned on the, the style of play. And, you know, it goes down to the academy too. We play the same way through and through. Um, so guys coming up and through the system are, are sort of indoctrinated or with, with how this system works and how this system should be played. So, you know, either if it's draft picks or, or new additions coming in and, and getting seasoning at Red Bull too, um, you know, I think coming into training every day and knowing, okay, today I'm with the first team. Um, it's sort of that, you know, let's buck up, let's uh, stay on top of our game, you know, really stay focused because you know, this is a chance to play in front of, in front of the head coach, in front of the first team coach, in front of the first team coaches with the first team players, you know, maybe rather right. Phillips turns around to Chris Armas and says, yo, this guy's really good. We, we need to see him up on the first team. You know, you never know where that opportunity can come. And I think, you know, having the, the sort of the teams and the, the staff sort of aligned on how, how this all functions and how this is supposed to be run and how it's shown to be run um, is what really fosters competition fosters sort of you know good competition not guys sort of breathing down their neck hoping for you know an injury but you know that it's that next man up approach and you know we saw it throughout the season not having guys having to come up and replace guys that are out for the year losing flow losing bez losing kyle duncan um you know to to major it's injuries 
um, and sort of looking looking down to Red Bull too and saying, all right, who who can we have? Who can step up in their place? Um, you know, guys like Ethan Cutler getting getting time. Um, you know, putting in time. Hassan Adam, who's now with FC Cincinnati, getting a start in, in Open Cup play. Like that's the kind of thing where they've been at Red Bull too. They know how the first team plays and if and when their name gets called they're ready to sort of step in um so you know across the board we've seen it obviously just like i said guys like flo and bez have done it um unfortunate that that we that we lost them for the year and in in terms of injuries but it's that same sort of next man up approach and the depth of this team and the depth of the organization is sort of what what fosters it um so yeah i mean it, it it all boils down to how how this club is run how this club is structured and how this club is organized um and i think you know obviously we've seen it at the usl level and now at the first team level um for the past six years or so of just complete and utter sort of almost domination of 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 the league in, in both leagues of of how the quality that they've played and you know how how consistently good we've been yeah definitely um nando you have anything no, I mean, I, I think that pretty much covers it. I think you know, it, it was, it was, I think it was pretty clear this year that that having having that second team plays a, a big role, not just in terms of of um, getting them prepared for the, for the actual on the field stuff. It's a lot of you know off the field and kind of the intangibles on the field where you know look at Tyler Adams, you know, the, the, the kids, he's so young and, and he just came, he just marched onto the first team, especially this year, just with this level of confidence because he's, he's already succeeded. You know, he's already tasted victory. He already knows what it's like to, to, um, to, to excel at a high level. Uh, same thing with Derek and, and, you know, some of the other guys. So it's, it's, yeah, I, I think it's awesome personally for, you know, that's, that's one of the best things about, um, about this team, this organization, and just kind of seeing that pipeline is, uh, you know, Andrew kind of mentioned it before. It's not just a partnership with some USL team. It's it's our development team. It's our second team. Uh, and when you have a team that that has a level a level of, of success, and those best players move on up to the first team, I mean, it's it's as smooth of a transition as you could possibly have, both on the field, off the field, and and again, just the mentality on the field too. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, I wanted to take the uh, conversation in a bit of a different direction now, because uh, obviously in your role as uh, the main, one of the main communications guys, of course, that means that you're traveling with the team quite a fair bit, you know, and I mean, a, a lot being made of the fact that we went to a lot of very exotic locations this season, right? Like a trip down to an <laughs> empty stadium in Costa Rica to start the year and then two subsequent trips to Mexico. So I think, from from a personal point of view, like, uh, what was your favorite sort of uh, away day this season? Like, uh, in, a, in a season where we had so many of them. Well, you know, I I actually let's see which trips. I obviously uh, had a kid this year, so I didn't make <laughs> every trip, but I made a lot of trips. Yeah. Um, I I honestly I really like preseason. Um, don't don't ask me why, but I really love our setup in Arizona. Um, you know, the, I just love the, the backdrop, the, the fields, you know, we're, we're there alone. We're sort of surrounded by like running trails and, you know, there've been mornings when we've driven over to the facility and there's coyotes standing in the parking lot or, um, you know, we go for runs like out behind the hotel after, after training days. So, um, I, I, you know, 
not not a place that um, you know we have a, we're playing MLS games, but the Arizona facility is awesome. Um, San Jose was great. I, I hadn't been there before, um, so that was a. I, I actually really like their their stadium setup and sort of everything that they do there. So that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I think sort of the beauty and the 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 pain of of it is that we do get to see some of these cities but some of these cities we only see for a few hours because we fly in one day and fly out the next and there's a match somewhere in there um so we don't see a lot you know we've 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 made our rounds of of uh kitschy restaurants and and places to to hit up but you know we really get to 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 soak in the city that you know maybe maybe should be better should um would be would would have me answering this question in a more succinct way so um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, our Arizona trip is always, uh, I always look forward to, to heading back there. So no, no beach in uh, DR next year. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how the, how the DR goes. Um, my guy, my guy, Brian on the, on our, our content team is actually from there and actually lived there for a few years. So he's, uh, his whole family's, uh, already booking tickets oh, and trying awesome. to figure out when we're going to. Well, we're going to be yeah, there. You know, admittedly, I was really disappointed that uh, I couldn't make it out actually to the Dominican Republic because, like, yo, like, this was my like dream away trip. All right. And then I looked up tickets and how much it was going to cost for me to get back from here. Like, I can't just drop $3,500, man. And as much- <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I, I want to go see the big tree so badly. You know, like, pay, <laughs> pay tribute to like that absolute unit at Cibao Stadium. So, I guess. <laughs> That's gonna be a fun one next year, right? I guess with the uh, the Champions League back in full swing, um, yeah, um, plenty of interesting things on the uh, horizon. But um, I guess now, before we move into the fan superlatives, actually, like we're gonna give out a few. I think I'm gonna center our discussion around some of our awards that I've devised in my own time, and I think this was hinted in the last episode with a cork actually about season MVP for you guys. So. Um, this is going to be the one that we award. I personally am going to award my own uh, because I don't think uh, I speak for the two of us on the podcast. So individually for me, like um, I'll, I'll open it with this uh, awarding player of the season for me personally. And, you know, we, we already know about Brad and how much like um, his contributions on the field this year, like really guided us to that, uh, highest finish. We can talk about how Kaku basically elevated the uh, team by adding this incredible variety of playmaking um, that we'd kind of been lacking in years past. Um, but for me, we don't win the shield and we don't set this points record without our defense. And our defensive record speaks for itself. You know, I think and we're talking about how we turn Red Bull Arena into a fortress and how teams come into our house dreading to play us, you know. A lot of that comes down to the fact that they know that they're barely going to get a sniff of goal when they're in our house. And it's for that reason that I think I would personally award my player of the season to Aaron Long because he was in he was central to all of that. I mean, like, you, you look at the way we we hinted at this earlier when we talk about how Red Bull 2 has kind of developed guys who can come up, step up, and just tell the world, you know, like, I belong here. Aaron Long, like, embodies that, you know, like a guy who'd kind of been drifting around other teams in the USL level who not just only becomes USL Defender of the Year with us, but steps up and becomes 
MLS Defender of the Year. And, you know, like, I'm just so, I don't know, like, I'm just so geeked out that he's getting the amount of respect that he is right now just simply because of how well he's played. And the reason why I'd give it to Aaron Long over Tim Parker is because I feel like Aaron has this skill set that's so hard to find, especially at MLS level. You know, like not only can he play the shutdown emergency defense by himself, but he can also play the ball out the back and start to transition. I mean, like he's such a unicorn in every aspect and he's really taken his game to all new heights this year. It's kind of hard for me not to give it to him. You know, like he's definitely my player this season. Like, uh, what about you guys? I'll start with you, Fernando. Um, yeah, he's actually my, my player of the year too. Um, you know, I, I kind of touched upon it, I think maybe two episodes ago or even the last one where one of the things I love about this organization is it's not just a youth development team. It's not just an academy development team. It's just a development team. And we see with someone like Tyler Adams, where he comes from, from, you know, the very, very, very beginnings of our academy system. And then he becomes a player he, he became, but on the, on the other side, you, you get to see um, a guy who had talent that, for whatever reason, multiple clubs couldn't see. And this team was able to bring him in and reposition him from a defensive mid to a center back. And this team basically developed him into what is arguably one of the best center backs in the league, hands down. So to see, to kind of know his story, where it started, and to see him now end up with the award for uh, defender of the year this year. Um, I, I don't know. To me, that's that, that to me, that's a testament to, to what this organization is doing um, on all development aspects. Uh, so yeah, he, he definitely, he definitely gets my award. I, I think, I think what he did this year was absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, thinking about and talking about Aaron, you know, he really put his trust in, in this club to, to sort of reinvent his career essentially you know he you said he sort of bounced around and he'd been with a couple of organizations and um as that defensive mid and you know he came to us and i think that the club really said look we think you're best suited as a center back and he was open to that and he sort of trusted the club and 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 the staff that's here to to develop him into you know one of the best in the country um and and he's again like he's sort of welcome that with open arms. And I think that's, that says a lot about sort of the, the mentality of, of Aaron and sort of his, his approach to the game and, and his approach to sort of how he can become a better player and how he can help his club. And I think obviously his, the accolades are, are um, well-deserved and, and well-documented. Um, but yeah, I mean, just his story is just unbelievable. You, you hear so many players, you know, say, Oh, I just want to play. I just want to play. And he really embodies that, um, you know, he wanted to play. He just wanted an opportunity to, to, you know, reach his goal and, and, and become the best player he could. So to be open to, <clears throat> to be open to, you know, going to a different team uh, across the country um, and to be willing to completely change his position and basically relearn, uh, relearn a lot of what he already knew about the game just so he can continue, you know, that, 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 uh, that path towards towards his dream of becoming a pro at, at you know an MS level and maybe in the future above that, I think is just it's awesome. He long has quickly become one of my favorite stories ever in this in this team, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I mean, um 
it, it's easy to praise the guys who uh, came up through the academy, you know, because I think they've been kind of indoctrinated. They've had the DNA indoctrinated in them from day one. You know, I think Tyler Adams, Sean Davis, you know, like they have that sort of murderer's mindset from the go. I think what really makes Aaron so impressive is that he came in from outside the organization and bought into it, you know, and like having to learn the tenets of what we're trying to do. You know, I think that's not easy for most, that's not easy for any player. I think when you know how complex that this style of play that we try to do is, especially how demanding it is, you know, and I think the fact that he was willing to convert from his natural defensive midfield position to a center back, you know, I mean, like, even though there's a fair bit of overlap in what those positions demand, I think, at professional level, it's such a major transition because you're essentially have you're essentially having to unlearn a lot of the old habits that you used to have playing this other position, kind of on the fly as you go along, you know. And the fact that he's taken to them so quickly while learning a very his role in a very complex system on top of that, I mean, like you, it, it, it's just such an unbelievable Phoenix story from top to bottom. And you know, I really think that. Um, there's more in the pipeline, right? I think as some of these guys come up, you know, I re- is why I was like really jazzed in the season in spite of the fact that it may have not wanted the way that we wanted to have it to have ended because we know that this is just the beginning with a lot of these guys. You know, we set poise to be calling up guys who seem to be contributors out of nowhere as well. I think the runner-up for me, I think with runner-up for me, E, Honor, or slash the honorable mentions were guys of the similar mode. You know, it was guys like Florian Velo and Kamar Lawrence, you know, guys from outside the organization who didn't come up through the academy, who found a niche here. And, you know, they're just as great examples of that ability to develop talent just as much as Aaron Long is. You know, I think that kind of gets overstated. Um, that kind of gets understated. Because Kamar and Florian Velo were also guys that we kind of took off um, – were relatively unheralded guys who we just turned into absolute killers, you know, and I think that's that's just a testament to again to how good we are at finding niches for players and turning them into seasoned pros. You know, I think it's hard to look at the work that's being done here and overall like being down on it, if you ask me. Like there's plenty more in the pipeline if you ask me, and I can't wait to see who surprises us in twenty nineteen. Um Yep. I guess that'll bring. Uh, I think. I, I think. Uh, then I, I guess it brings me to my second award. I guess like before we dive into superlatives, and that's surprise of the season. And I think there are a number of really good surprises this year. I think uh, chief among them was Florian Velo before his uh, unfortunate injury, and then we kind of touched upon that a little bit. But also late season breakouts from Alex Muel, uh, who kind of took his game to like a whole new level. Uh, Mark Shikovsky, obviously, now in the running to be named probably the best synergy signing of all time, without question. <laughs> so um, I think uh, when it comes to unheralded surprises, it still has to go to Florian for me because um, it's hard to look at how good he was in the right wing this season, t- kind of tucking in as a sort of tertiary playmaker slash... Um, that weird hybrid 10.5 role that he played. I mean, he like when you talk about unheralded guys, like I, I, I think he, you can point to guys like him as being examples of just how good Red Bull two is at providing like 
great players for this first team, you know, and, and a lot of it comes down again to top-down integration and the fact that they already know how they want this team to play as soon as they come up. So I think when it comes to surprise package of the season, I have to give it to Florian. Yep. Uh, I actually give it to him uh, too, for almost the exact same reasons. Um, I think, and obviously the team played very, 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 very well, even after his absence when, uh, when he got injured. Um, but one thing that changed was that, that string of, 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 uh, early goals, you know, the, the first goals and, and early, go, uh, early goals that we saw more towards, you know, the first half of the season. And an interesting stat was uh, I could be off by a goal or two, but it was something like 11 or 12 of the early first goals involved below, whether it was through a goal and assist um, of some kind. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I think he played very well for Red Bull too. But to see him transition so well and, and to almost immediately become such an important part of the first team, I thought was um, was a little a little unexpected and, and definitely Duffy welcome. So hopefully, hopefully that knee is strong for next year, man, because if, if he can come back, you know, even 95 percent of what he was before he got injured, then that's going to be a, a, a great addition. Yeah, um, I guess now I guess what I wanted to touch upon a little bit is the fact that um, I lost it. I'm sorry. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. It's been lost to the sands of times, you guys. Uh, I guess uh, this is an indicator as many to just kind of shut up and get on with the uh, fan superlatives, which is probably the moment you guys have all been waiting for. Um, thank you once again to everyone who sent in a superlative Um Again, like we founded this channel on the principle that it's going to be by the fans, for the fans, and in our maiden season as a channel, like we couldn't have imagined, first of all, that it would have taken off as much as it has. You know, I think it really, I can't emphasize enough just how great it is to see you guys maybe enjoying our content and enjoying our presence on um in the RBNY media sphere. And, you know, like I think me, um, me and Fernando definitely agree that there's plenty more in the pipeline that we want to do. And it's only going to keep on going, you know, just like our team. So the first one coming in from Toby, Toby Carroll on Twitter asking most likely to have a namesake empanada next. Wow. Ooh. Actually, I, I, I'm going to give a shout out to a best newcomer for a bit because it's definitely pre-sass in my opinion. <laughs> like, what other team in MLS has an, has an empanada store that throws as much shade and as much fire as they do? I mean, straight up, like the food, <laughs> the food is good, but the tweets are great, you guys. Like, no, no, no. I, I, I put the food and the tweets on like the same like level. Like the tweets are like all timers, and the food is all timers too. So, uh, plenty more to come in the pipeline from Breesass as well. Things um, like empanada, that's a tough one. Um, I feel like I feel like I'd stand for like an Alex Meal empanada where it's made from like I don't know horse meat or something because horse meat's pretty tasty, you guys. Like call it the call it the call it like the uh, the call it like the workhorse or something, and just give a shout out to some kind of uh, I don't know um, horse inspired meat. Uh, that may be a controversial one. Horse inspired. Me. Yeah, I'm not even sure how to reply to this one. <laughs> I, 
I'm talking Can myself I- into oblivion here. Um, <laughs> I was going to play it safe and just mention Gaku and just kind of end it there. <laughs> Name it after. I was going to say Tim Parker or something big red or <laughs> something from Strong Island Empanada. I don't know. Um, what would the Kaku Empanada look like, actually? I'm kind of curious about this one. Would it be like know. some kind of Argentinian barbecue inspired one, maybe? I think that'd be Yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool actually. Kind of like It would have to have like no, guys. It would have to have nutmeg sprinkled oh, on top. Oh true. Oh that's oh, the dessert yes. empanada. <laughs> okay, okay, yes. okay. I'm changing my answer to that one. All right, so <laughs> a dessert empanada with a nutmeg topping to name it after coffee. So we'll call it the coffee special. And the filling can be like something easy, like cream cheese that will take on that really strong nutmeg flavor, or some kind of cream. You know, I think I I could be down for that. Yeah. All right. I think that's the consensus answer. It's going to be one name for coffee. There we go. I feel like diving really deep into this on Twitter when we're done. Recess. Call me. (laughs) Friend of the show, Alex Alex Sassaroli, asking us best trolling, and um. I, th- I think you got to go back to Ben Mines. <laughs> yeah. Ben Mines, ben Mines knows how Twitter works. Uh, on the player front, definitely Ben Mines, but I guess we're going to expand the meta to RBNY Twitter in general, and it's been a banner season for the memes on the internet, you guys. Um, <laughs> I think it's been understated. Actually, like, as a like as a comms, as, as the guy doing the comms, like, does it really kind of uh, see, make you glad to see the amount of, like, the, the memeology that's been evolving around this club up this year. Like absolutely some fire. It's, it's fascinating to watch sort of on like, not to get really like meta and weird about this, but like, it's fascinating <laughs> no, to watch this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating to watch sort of how this stuff like buds out of nowhere. And like, you know, occasionally like I'll think like, Oh, if I post this picture, like it'll become a meme or something. And then it doesn't. And then like, the one that I don't even think like anything could come out of or could makes you know could be could be turned into something else is the one that sort of grows into something that's that you know gets out of control and either in a good way or a bad way. But like sometimes I'll be like, you know what, maybe I won't post that because that could become a meme. And then the one that I don't even think has a chance or a snowball's chance, and boom, memes everywhere. Like, wait, what happened? How, how did this? How did this get to this point? <laughs> How are we here now? <laughs> so the, the the two questions I have. One, did Chris Armour see the handshake memes? Yes, he confirmed in a post-training interview that he had seen oh, them. Awesome. What was what was your favorite uh your favorite meme of the year? That's my favorite. Okay. Handshakes. I mean it's too it has perfect. to be. I mean, that's the one that made it mainstream, you guys. Like that was yeah. sort of like a breakout moment for everyone involved in that. Um, but I think when I'm going to extend it to RBNY Twitter posters, best trolling, um, it's going to be a controversial one. I think Derek stepped up his game this year, bringing out the uh, weapons, shall we say, and I'm not going to specify what the weapons are, but I think everyone knows what it is. So congratulations, Derek Schultz. Um, (laughs) definitely best uh, RBNY, definitely RBNY troll of the year. And just, yeah, uh, unbelievable if you want to know what shot. we're talking about, just go to his Twitter feed and click on media. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't. It's not worth it. <laughs> Andrew's it's probably worth- sitting wondering what the hell we're talking about. Uh, yeah, um, you have it. You have a kid. 
don't 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 look it up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Sorry for that brief. Um. Sorry for that brief. Um. Detour into the weirdness of RBNY Twitter. Uh. The next question is actually one that's kind of um a bit more closer to home. Actually, filming Metro Fan. Some Patrick Dawan, another friend of the show, filming Metro Fan TV. Best moment. And most awkward moment. So the best moment for me has I mean, to be hashtag Tijuana Tuesday. I mean, like that was an all timer in my opinion. Yeah, that th- there was no better way to start this whole thing than Tijuana Tuesday. Yeah, man. I mean, dude, like I, I legitimately like I, like I'm like there will be days where I kind of go back and admittedly watch some of our old content and just the. Just the vibe around the whole club, you know. I, I was really glad that we got to document that, like the whole vibe going into uh, the uh, CCL run and coming away with the uh, win against Tijuana. I mean, you could just feel the it was so special feeling that energy, you know, like how buzzed everyone was and how much we were just willing to just dunk on fools. And you know, I think it was sort of like um, the genesis moment for sort of like a bit of a shifting tide in the way that um we approach the club's business for sure you know i think there was that moment that we realized you know like we do have something special here you know admittedly in the past i had been pretty down on some things the way that the, but this year i mean i think this year was the year that really kind of tied it all together for me and i really saw the big picture and you know ultimately you know it's hard not to feel proud of that you know and i'm really and that's why i think tijuana tuesday has a very special place in my heart and it lives on forever. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I look, I, I, I watch that, that clip sometimes. Um, and, and I think back to like this entire season and everything that's kind of happened on the fan side and the social media side. And, and I really feel like that looking back, I didn't realize that at the time that really, I think definitely summarized or, or not really summarized, but kind of um, gave a, a, a shine of light on, the swing of portions of this fan base and, and, um, uh, and I guess, and how they, they see this team, um, in a more positive view and more positive outlook and, and really just kind of embracing just being in the moment and really just embracing what was about to happen, you know? So seeing how the season played out, it didn't end up with a cup, but we won a supporter shield and just that whole ride, man, of, of champions league and, and, and winning, you know, breaking a season record. Like this has been an unbelievable year. And just seeing, seeing that video, everything about that, the whole atmosphere, it was just, it was unbelievable. And, and I really think that was like the perfect starting point. Cause it really just, it, it just symbolized everything that was going to happen for the rest of the year. Um, I guess most awkward moment. Uh, I don't know. Like, like, uh, the Bobby Warshaw thing was kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if that's really <laughs> awkward, but um, harassing him. Well, maybe not harassing him, but accosting him to come on MetroFan TV after. Uh, he changed after him. that. Yeah. We redeemed Bobby Warshaw. So that's not awkward at all. I think what's awkward was, uh, you know, I think there was that one interview where that NYCFC fan tried to get up in our shit. Yeah. Uh, and we basically yelled him down, tried to turn him into a Tyler, the creator meme, but that didn't really take off. But, um, <laughs> So it's like it's like what Andrew says, you know. Sometimes the memes flow, and sometimes they don't. So that's just life, right? Uh, that's right. I guess um, 
Andrew, do you have a? Do you, I, I know that Metro Fan TV is uh, monitored in the front office. Did you have a favorite episode of ours uh, coming into out of the season? Nothing jumps to mind. <laughs> um, moving on, actually. Uh, so John painting at Zero Cat asking best empanada. Um, I stand for beef personally with rosada sauce. That was my go-to from recess, so I think that has to be the uh, winner for me. Beef the rosada sauce, best empanada. I don't know about you guys. Same. That's pretty much all I get. I, I, I'm going to be controversial and say I like my empanadas plain. I don't like sauce. Ooh. That's 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 fine because I, I mean I don't. Yeah, Is like it? I'm not. I don't like. I'll take a couple of bites like plain myself. So. No man, like, Glad I'm okay. I used to think that way, but then like I slathered the risotto sauce in almost every bite um, of my empanada, and now it's like the empanada is a vessel for the risotto sauce. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to argue with quality like that, you guys. So, but I think you know. But yeah, um, I guess by split decision, it's a beef empanada with risotto sauce. Um, Luke Hume, recent guest on the show, asking best overseas fan. Um, I'm going to award this one to me. Sorry. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving on. Um, Matt at Metro's 96 asking, not a funny category, but a difficult one. Match of the season. Ooh. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is, this, this one's going to be, um, this one's going to be tricky. Definitely. I think a lot of very special games this year for sure. Um, I mean, anytime that you have to, you have legitimate contenders to, um, clinching a trophy in your own stadium, you know, you've had a great year. So, um, I wasn't there for the shield win. So I guess that kind of knocks it down the uh, power rankings for me. Um, the home win against Atlanta definitely has very sentimental, has a lot of sentimental value because that was my. Uh, last game before leaving the United States. So that's definitely within contention. But I think in terms of overall, how special and unbelievable it felt, you know, I think I have to give it to the Tijuana game again. You know, I think um, that has to be my, oh wait, no, I'm going to scratch that. The Columbus home playoff game. I totally forgot about that one. Cause like, that, that that was sort of like a testament, actually, to like just how much fight this club had in it to come and come back and you know try and exercise the ghosts of the playoffs. You know, I think it was just so admirable to come to see them come back in a bit of a hole and just put out the kind of performance that they did in the playoffs. So I think, without question, that had to be the biggest win of the season for me because not only did they go out and win at home against Columbus in the playoffs, but they went out and won emphatically against an opponent that they struggled so much against in the past. And Greg Berhalter's was Columbus. I mean, yeah, I mean, I have to give it to the Columbus home playoff game. Uh, how about you guys? I'm tempted to say the Columbus game only because I honestly think after that second and third goal, I don't think I've ever heard that stadium that loud before. Like that, that legitimately might be the loudest I've ever heard. And I'm talking across the Derby games, um, uh, other playoff games. I mean, I, there was it was a whole different level. I've never heard that stadium like that. 
but I it's I don't know I I'm I'm torn between um, the four nothing win against uh, City and the Tijuana game. I know the game against City is not that big of a deal, but that was I think a more impressive performance than even the seven zero one in Yankee Stadium because the game against uh, the seven nothing game was against a pretty bad team. Um, and a lot of those goals were off corners and stuff. That 4 nothing win was against a very, very good team at the time. And from the whistle, we just absolutely destroyed them. The look on those fans' faces was absolutely incredible. But there was no – other than that, there was really no meanings. But it was an incredible moment for me. Um, so for me, it's, it's kind of an even tie between that and the Tijuana game. Um, Andrew, uh, for me, definitely for nothing Darby game. Um, just the excitement, the crowd, everything was, was perfect that day. I really like the anthology that we had on the uh, account of the, uh, Smurf fans looking really, really sad sitting in your seats. Like that was, that was an underrated moment. I think on the Metro fan TV account, oh, so that was posting great, all yeah. the pictures that Fernando took at the guy sitting there in silence. <laughs> I mean, it's just so fun when your team rips the souls out of their opposing fans, isn't it? Like, I, I really kind of emphasize, like, how great that that felt. So, but, yeah. yeah, I guess by split decision, it's the Derby win against the Smurfs at home. It happened twice, by the way. Derby win regular season and at the US Open Cup. So that was great. Yeah. Um, next one coming from Andre. Best Kaku Meg. Oof. Uh, one against Philly. Yeah, that Easy. was the one where he megged someone, did a roulette, and then finished it off of a Rabona pass, right? Because that was the one that I was thinking yep. of. So yeah, uh, definitely that sequence. I mean, that was filthy. That made Sports Center in like Argentina, I believe, how filthy it was. Like that was that was great. Um, best shutdown moment of the season. So I think he's asking for like um, the example he gives is Parker body checking Almiron for his tackle a few minutes. Um, I think anytime Kamar Lawrence went in for a tackle wins my wins my vote because my goodness, like, ha- <laughs> it was a it's literally like like I I don't know if there's ever been a player in um club history who has just gone in and killed dudes with his tackles and you feel the impact all around the stadium. You know, even me in the South Ward, I can hear Kamar's tackles over, like, our su- support sometimes. I mean, that's how fucking nasty they are. And the fact that he does it while winning the ball cleanly, I mean, that's just that's just an added bonus. So I think that wins my vote, like, any time a Kamar Lawrence murder tackle happened. But specifically the one where he chased down that... Um, there was one particularly great chase down, one that happened right in front of us, but I forget which one that was. So, yeah, that, that wins my vote. Yeah, I go Kamar, just all of them. I mean, it's it's like you, you, it's always a toss up where you think it's about to get. You, you see him going in, and I mentioned before, you see him going in. It looks like it's gonna be a red, and ends up just being like the most beautiful tackle in like possible, and and just the look of crushing defeat on the on the other players is always uh is always satisfying. Yeah, I mean Kamar's Kamar's speed and closing speed is unbelievable. I love when he's when he starts out like, you know, five or 10 yards behind a guy and 
you know, that you can tell that the the opposing player is sort of booking it, running at full speed, and Kamar just sort of makes it like effortless to just catch up and slide tackle or get the ball and turn and go back up the field the other way. And it's like, how do you do that? <laughs> um, it's it's a sight to behold. Yeah. I mean. A quick sorry, qu- quick sorry. Uh, so I've got, I've been lucky enough. Thank you guys for getting uh, some photo passes, and I got to see it like five feet away from me, and it was like one of the most exhilarating things I've ever seen in person. <laughs> it, it, it's I like just watching, up there. It's like watching those nature documentaries and seeing like uh, like <laughs> yeah. lions pouncing zebras in slow motion. Like it, it's fucking amazing, man. Like. I would I would have a David Attenborough like voiceover of Kamar Lawrence like just ending a dude's like game of like a well timed tackle that just rips the soul right out of his body. You know, yeah, I, I seeing it that close. Like I mean, I've always obviously respected the art of of whatever these whatever these guys do on the field, but seeing how perfectly he goes in for those tackles, like in person, just feet away, without murdering someone, is absolutely unbelievable i mean i I, it's it it really was something it's 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 an experience an experience i would i would rather see that again than go like to great adventure i mean completely honest (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's my content request for next season actually is like just a nice slow motion overview of a kamar lawrence no no i have an idea i have an idea for members plus next year all right you get tackled by kamar lawrence (laughs) Yeah. Ten thousand points. Yeah, that's not yeah, a waiver, waiver. Though. You're good. Uh, I, I would sign up like ten thousand times to get tackled. By tackled I would. I would lie. give up twenty thousand points for that. I'm not even gonna lie. I give. I, I give up my leg. Actually, <laughs> I, I, I'd only really get my leg broken. Like that'd be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe. Okay, yeah, maybe not. But uh, you know, close to it. Um, next one coming from Mark Cromordap uh, on Twitter, asking worst comment on RBDG. And it has to be Red Cosmos because what the fuck was that? Like seriously, oh my god! The, it's a comment. Red... It's, it's a combo between that and what was it? Major League. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was an underrated meme. No, you guys, you guys are both wrong. It's the person who asked if the uh, uh, David Villa should become. Oh yeah. Coach. That was. The, I don't think this one made it onto my table actually. That after he had signed with his Japanese yes. club. <laughs> yes, that was like a week ago. That's right. That was that was a great way to end the season. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Made it onto my table. I'm kind of disappointed about that one. Um, <laughs> it's probably because I'm not in the group. But yeah, there you go. Uh, when you have when you have other people in that group turning on you, <laughs> I think you've done. I think you messed up. That's that that, that that's a real galaxy brain take right there, man. I mean. Dude, yes. like <laughs> the, the the discussion group never fails to provide some great fodder. Actually, like uh, it's the premier, um, it's a premier comedy group. I guess it's sort of like watching the Eric Andre show, but with uh, people providing absolutely garbage comments. You know, it's it's probably what I'd describe it as being. So, but yeah, definitely, um, definitely seems to be split um, on. Worst comment in RBDG. And uh, closing out this segment is a question from Colin, C. Rosen26. So he wants us to give an award to worst haircut 
and best and worst individual performance of the year. He had one more Kaku Nutmeg of the year, but we already answered that one. So worst haircut. Um, it's been a pretty strong year for hair on this team. If I'm being completely honest with you, uh, we're a strong hair yeah, team. Like we do a lot of hair content. Too. <laughs> I mean, let, let's go through the greatest hits. Um, Corn Rose from Alex Mule. Man Bun from Alex Mule. I mean, going back to 2017, we have the the Aaron Long. Oh, yeah, yeah R.I.P. <laughs> Damien Perrineau had some fierce looks as well. Um, even this year, the Bleached Hair Gang, Aaron Long, Amir, Kamar, Florian, you know, Bleached Hair Gang, definitely strong. Um, I don't know. I don't think like, there were any misses. Don't forget, don't forget when Kamar shaved his head. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Kamar's had some pretty fierce looks this whole season. Is though, there I like mean. an inside story to that? Or he just like decided to... Well, I think it was just like, okay, I'm going to shave my head. Respect. Well, he was like, he went blue, he went red, he went blonde. And then, like, the next day, he came in and all his hair was gone. It <laughs> like, to shed some insight, having been a former member of Bleached Hair Gang myself, what, what, what people have to do sometimes, actually, to uh, get the discoloration out of their hair is that they have to shave it off completely so that the hair can grow again from the roots. Start yeah. fresh. So it restarts to, so it resets to natural, your natural hair color as a result of that. I mean, like, I have some discoloration from uh, the underlying bleach because blonde mixed of black ends up looking a bit like light brown. So yeah, some, some guys just choose to shave it off so they get back to their natural hair color as soon as possible. And it results in him having a really nice fade. So I don't know. Sorry, Colin. I don't think I can award a worst haircut this year. Like they've all been pretty strong, dude. Um, best and worst individual performance of the year. Um, best individual performance. Um, you got to think about this one, actually. Um, I know mine. Yeah, you you can go ahead with yours. So my well, best, think. my best is actually a, a, an even split. Uh, Robles in Tijuana, where he saved like mm-hmm. a thousand goals, um, and also Bradley's uh, hat trick in DC because he single handedly walked walked the team out with points. Well, up point. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I definitely had Brad's hat trick on my list. Uh, Luis's like shutout performance in CCL was another one for sure. But I think if I'm on the defensive side of things, I, I think seeing you can actually give a lot of individual performance awards to our defenders this year, you know, and I think um, seeing Fidel pocket Valeri in the opening game of the regular season, just shutting down the reigning MLS MVP, not giving him a sniff, like that whole game. I think that has to be up there for me, and I think it's going to be one that's going to be understated. Um, if it's Fidel's one shining moment in his time here, you know, I think I'd be more than happy to give it to him because, I mean, considering the context of that game where it was like a heavily rotated squad going up against um, Portland, who had the reigning MLS MVP under season. I mean, seeing how Fidel just absolutely embarrassed him like that that, that's pretty great if you ask me considering the context so i'm that's gonna be my award winner for best individual performance actually it's gonna be a deep cut it's fidel escobar just marking diego valeria at the game like that 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 was that was great yeah that was a good one um i forgot about 
uh, Robles' game in Tijuana. Yeah. It was yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> that was really that. like that. That was, yeah, that, that, that's got to be one of the best performances of any MLS keeper in like the history of the league. I mean, to, to have it a performance like that against even just another MLS team, I think is impressive, but to do it against Tijuana in Tijuana was like just unbelievable. Dude, I was on the floor like when he was like standing on his head, you know, cause like I was so like nervous and I couldn't believe that it was actually like happening that we had a two nil win, like that we were up two nil against Tijuana. Like, it was it, it was like uh, watching Helms Deep in Lord of the Rings after a while, you know, like seeing how <laughs> heavily under siege they had us for after Brad's second and coming away with it. Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, that's definitely one of the more uh, forgotten ones in the season where there has been so many um, just great individual performances up and down yeah. the uh, season. Chock full of them. Always a good problem to have. Worst so, individual performance? Writing. Man. Orlando. Done. Yeah, I think it's defenders again. Um, it's either Redding against Orlando or Colin against Columbus. But um, yeah, I'm sorry, Tommy Redding against Orlando. That was pretty, pretty bad. That was, <laughs> that was the last superlative that we had, actually. So I think that kind of rounds out our award show at a very economical one hour and twelve minutes. So yeah, I mean, it's been a great first year in Metro Fan TV for sure. Um, I think I'm very happy with the way that things have kind of progressed and, you know, going into 2019, like we said at the top of the episode, a lot of moves yet to be made and a lot of excitement surrounds this club still. And we've said all of this without throwing shots at MLS digital for once. It's amazing. (laughs) If you ask me. Um, So I guess to round out the episode, um, Thanks a lot, Andrew, for coming on and uh, shedding some insight for us. Uh, we hope you had some fun here in the episode. I did. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah. And uh, I guess to surround out, if uh, you made it this far into the episode, Tweet69 at Franco Panizzo. But for now, it's Lenzo Fernando and a MetroFan TV Weekly Rundown saying, peace out, and we'll have more for you further down the pipeline this offseason. Offseason is peak season. Don't go away. Peace.